and welcome to another episode of Drone World. I'm your host, Kevin Gillespie, and we have got a very special guest for today's episode. I'm sat opposite Paul Lewin, one of the founders and visionaries behind Copters, which Drone World's a part of. But not only that, Paul is a successful businessman. He's been doing it a very long time. And when you talk about roadmaps to success, then Paul is someone you definitely want to follow. So I'm really excited about just having a discussion and just find out about what shaped you, what decisions you made, the ups and downs, what's led you to the position you're in now. And do you know what? What keeps the fire burning? Because correct me if I'm wrong here, but do you have six, seven businesses on the go at the moment still? Yeah, I'm involved in various different capacities in six businesses, be it from direct hands-on to executive founder, shareholder, investor, or non-exec. And I'm lucky because I absolutely love what I do. I work seven days a week, not 12 hours, seven days a week, but every morning that I get up with a spring in my step, 5 a.m. or whatever, I cannot wait to get to it because I'm working with some amazing people. And whatever I can do, to share some of the mistakes that I've made over the last 20 plus years, to help others avoid those, and perhaps to share some of the wisdom that I've found to work in some of the stages that I operate in and around, then that really is what gets me flowing and makes me feel alive. Absolutely. And you just said something there. If you've got the entrepreneurial mindset, then it is seven days a week. And that's it. And most people have to spend that just on one business. You're doing it across six. So what's that like? Because like you said, there's different levels of your time investment in them. You have different positions, different roles. What's it like managing six businesses when people, and a lot of people are listening to this podcast and they're just thinking, man, I just want to start one business. Well, what I can tell you, it's a learning curve. If somebody would have told me two years ago that I would be involved in an executive capacity in six businesses, I'd have said, go away. That's not possible. But it's just evolved naturally over six years, working and meeting some really interesting people and coming across and creating some amazing opportunities. But what I would actually bring it back to is it's really about consistent application of a process and a methodology. Because everything in life you can kind of break down to process and methodology. I think a lot of people overthink business. Business actually, when you break it down to some of the fundamental aspects, is quite simple. And it starts with one thing. And that one thing is what is the core differentiator in every business. It's talent. It's people. It's the ability of an individual and or a group of people to come together and put the strategy of attract, develop, and retain great people in a great culture at the centre of everything. I then flip it into innovation, innovation in business models, coming up with something that is either disruptive or unique in one way or another. And I apply, we apply, because you work with me for quite some time now, Kev, uh, an FMOB test. What can we do that's first, most, only, or best. Not to create a me too or a degree of marginal improvement, 
because we've got to do that in our business models anyway. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at disruption, innovation, we're looking at FMOB. We're then moving towards marketing. And it's all about developing multiple streams of quality leads and using automation tools to convert them. And I need not tell you that any more than anybody else because you do that brilliantly in the businesses that you're involved in because I know you have non-exec appointments as well. It's amazing to see you rising to the challenge of doing more than an epic job in one business working across at least three now, if, if, if I'm right <laughs> in thinking. I tell you what, Phil, do you know what? Listen to that. It's amazing because if you're in business, you'll know right now that the hardest challenge people are facing is attracting, developing and retaining the talent, as you said. But if you're an entrepreneur, because a lot of people listening to this podcast won't be in the position to recruit him yet. And I know that you your story starts very similar to a lot of the big CEOs and execs that started their journey as well. So if you think of Martin Marine and how it started, I mean, because if you start there, that will be very much sort of like identical to where a lot of new entrepreneurs will be starting from. Yeah, well, 21 years ago, it kind of feels strange saying that now, but 21 years ago, I and two of the guys, my best friend, Steve Corson, who's fellow shareholder and founder of Copters, and a wonderful guy called Mike Pringle, we were working in an organisation which was the antithesis of attracting, developing, returning great people in a great culture, and to some extent resisted innovation. And we saw an opportunity in different industry from a UK-centric business dealing in industrial detection products, we saw an opportunity to apply that technology in the maritime sector. And for whatever reason, the board of that company were resistant and we thought, we fancy crack at this. So we quit our jobs, bundled together £6,000 and created a new company and took that business onto the global stage. And 20 years later, through a lot of blood, sweat and tears, literally, we sold that company for eight figures to a major PLC. And I formally exited that business around a year ago. And anybody can do it, but it's not easy. Would you say, because I, I bet there's so many, you hear it all the time, there's so many people that want to quit their job, go solo, just, ah, it's too risky for them. They have that feeling of risk and they just don't want to do it. They don't want to take that chance. Would you have got, where you are now without taking risks? Absolutely not. It's about taking calculated risks and making bets. And I try to aim for making asymmetric bets where the stake that I make relative to the returns that are available are massively imbalanced in favour of the upside. When I look at the evolution of the business, We've made a lot of bets, some bigger than others, most of which don't succeed. And you can't get away from that fact. But the more risks I take, the more success that uh, is delivered. Safe is dangerous. I think as we look at in society, the challenges that we've all been through over the last 18 months and the way the world's coming out of it, I don't think there's ever been a better time to embark on an entrepreneurial venture. Technology is an amazing enabler now. You can reach anybody in the world through digital channels. If you've got the entrepreneurial mindset 
the work ethic to work, work long, smart and hard and to attract, develop and retain great people in a great culture, provided that you have a spark of innovation and then are prepared to work hard to make it happen, there's every chance to succeed. But if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. And it is not for everybody. It is not yeah. for the faint-hearted because it does involve, and you'll have seen it and you'll feel it at times, a degree of sacrifice in other areas of your life. That's why it's not for everybody. Absolutely. And there's challenges as well. And it's ups and downs, roller coaster. And I think you've just said a phrase there that really rings true. And a lot of people don't think this way. A lot of people would never think safe is dangerous. You just think of that for a moment, because a lot of people, I mean, what have we been built to think as a society? Security is safe, long-term job. Do you know all the things that you're told as you've grown up, that's what security looks like. But actually what you're saying is safe is dangerous because you can stay there. Yeah, if you are naturally a glass half empty person, if you are naturally risk averse, then pursuit of entrepreneurship might not be for you. Um, and that's the right answer for you because mm. the world needs people that want a safer existence. They want a steady 40 hour a week gig. They want the security of employment, the security that major organizations bring. And the world wouldn't function without the majority of people being that way, just as the world wouldn't advance without those movers and shakers that dare take the risk. And that's where we all can coexist fantastically well, but the world rewards those that produce and create value and take risk disproportionately to those that are more inclined to want a steady, conservative, compliant, safe environment within which to thrive. Really interesting. One of the big things that we do at Copters, and I know it's something that's shaped your life professionally and personally, is you have a growth mindset. Now, if you don't know what a growth mindset is, I mean, what we'll do is we'll let Paul say it in his own words because um, growth mindset is the opposite of a fixed mindset. And if you think of what a growth mindset is, for me, it means that anything can be learned. Talent gets you so far, but talent still needs to be developed and skills, even if it isn't your talent set, you can develop skills to a degree to help you perform a good or even better level. And sometimes a lot of people strive for perfection, but actually progress is the key. And I remember something you said to me when I come to Copters for the first time was you're just looking at progression, 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 progression. If you, if you go for perfection every time, you just get nothing done. And it's MVP, the most viable product. And it's always stuck in my head because I was always like, no, no, this needs to be absolutely spot on before we move forward. But then if say that was for product development or the innovation you're talking about, by the time you've got it perfect, someone else has already come in. You've got to take action, but growth mindset in your story, I know through multiple businesses that you've run, you've experienced the recession. You've now experienced COVID. And I know growth mindset was a real turning point in your life as well in terms of, there's a saying that you always say, and I know it's the Warren Buffett quote, but you can never be on what you learn. And it's a real mantra at Copters. It's part of the culture. 
And that obviously culture is set from the top. So when did you first discover growth mindset? Because I know it wasn't always like that. Well, the honest answer is far too late in my career. And if I look back, I'm disappointed that the discovery came a little bit later than it could or should have done. It was actually in 2008. Now, just want to go back a step because growth mindset, I would phrase it in one word, and that's curiosity. Mm. Getting more curious around various different aspects of subject matter. In 2008, I was the manager director of a very successful company, Martech Marine. And I, we as a senior leadership team, had presided over seven consecutive years of growth. And it's fair to say there was a degree of hubris that had evolved amongst us as a senior leadership team, probably ignorant to the fact that we were growing a company within an industry which was growing at a similar rate. So were we outperforming the market? I don't know. But suddenly, with the onset of the global recession, we were dealt a hand which revealed that we had become complacent. And I remember Christmas 2008 in sight of the industry index, the Baltic index, seeing it losing around 90% of its value within a two-week period. And me knowing at that point that our business would never be the same unless we made some fundamental changes to that. And I suddenly realised how uninvested I was as a chief executive in my own development and also that of the team that worked within the business. And on the 4th of January, I went back into the office knowing that 25% of the people in the company wouldn't have a job the day after. And the senior leadership team and many others would be embarking on a four-day working week. And I vowed from that point I would never let that happen again because uh, I got complacent. I and we were underinvested in our own development. I wasn't reading books. I wasn't reaching out for mentoring. I wasn't participating in masterminding. I didn't have a coach. And very quickly, I saw the opportunities that investing in those areas would bring to the business as a whole. And I spent the next 10 or so years really embracing continual professional development, investing in people. And it became a real obsession, not in the negative sense of the word, but a real positive obsession in that if I don't learn every day of my life systematically through one form or another, I kind of feel bereft. I don't feel nurtured and uplifted. So I am absolutely ritualized now every day of my life, and I mean every day of my life, to learn something new through whatever format. Maybe do 10, 15, 20 hours of learning a week in various guises. Audible happens to be one of my go-to things because you can learn concurrently while doing other activities. But I read an awful lot. Mm -hmm. I don't want to surround myself with awesome people that we can learn off each other. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of when we talk about growth mindset and that period in your life, I mean, I know because I've experienced it firsthand when I started at Copters 
we came in and we had a mission where we wanted to go to the next level and then keep on going and then COVID hit. And then I remember approaching you, I think it was um, five, six months in where I think it's one of the hardest conversations I've had to have as a professional because you're always taught in a business environment that you've always got to turn up and not show vulnerability because, oh my God, that's a bad mental health, all that kind of stuff is taboo. And I remember approaching you and saying, Paul, I see that you mentor a lot of different people and I've got this problem and I'd really value you to mentor me. I remember when we broke it down and we were talking, I was like, I think I'm, I don't know, because it was only self-diagnosis, but I was like, I think I'm suffering a little bit from imposter syndrome. Do you remember? I remember the conversation. <laughs> we went for an early dinner afterwards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it was amazing. So I went on the mentorship program with you and being mentored by you and coach didn't just change my life professionally, but also personally, because the coaching teachings I took in, it helped me develop. One of the things that you said I need to do was I needed to have a mission. Now, I'm used to working in marketing. It's like I'm used to having missions for organizations, the North Star, the what the whole company gets behind. Copters revolutionizing organizations through drones. And But then it never dawned on me that a personal mission could also have the same impact, but on a personal level to an individual. And you have a personal mission. I absolutely do. Um, and I'm delighted to, I'll share it with anybody mm-hmm. who cares to listen. And it's, Something that I live congruently with every day of my life and where I don't live congruently with it, I feel stress because I feel a violation of my purpose in life. And it's pretty simple that I want to live a rich and adventurous life, 220 years old, nurturing others to live better. Mm-hmm. So it's all about adventure for me. And the word rich, rich in experience, Mm -hmm. because life is all about experience. I used to think it was all about possessions, but I learned very quickly that it's not, because that's quite a shallow thing. And it's perhaps easy for somebody like me, having gone through a major transaction in a business, to say that. But I had that realisation even before that life-changing event. But then you flip it to helping others, because what's business about at the heart of it? It's about solving problems or improving life for your customers, generally a set of people. And what I learned five years or so ago was that if you set your life up to help others, then the universe automatically helps you. But if you live congruently to help others, then it really uplifts you and the principle of reciprocity always kicks in to improve the outcome for those who are serving as well as those that are being served. Yeah, amazing. Do you know what your personal mission as well? So one of the things that is fundamental for copters, but I know across all businesses that you have is the setting of quarterly goals, weekly KPIs, quarterly goals, and we always use the SMART framework. And then when you were actually saying your personal mission back to me there, I was like, bloody hell, Paul's made that SMART. Very specific, his mission was like he's and it was like it was just really interesting how that clicked in my head. That it's funny in how you just take that. So, right at the start, when we were talking, you said it's all about having a methodology and a process, and you can see how because for me, I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs and 
how do you stop your work life bleeding into your personal life? Because I guess that's the daily challenge. So it's, it's the biggest challenge for most people running one business. You're doing six. How do you do it? What do you do? Or do sometimes do you not do it and it causes a bit of strife? I'm lucky I've got a really understanding wife who's known me for 17 years and she's not known anything other than me working the way I do. I have what I call an integrated life where I balance having great time with family, friends, community, other businesses, together with discharging my responsibilities you know, at a really rudimentary level. The next level, you know, wanting to give and get involved more. So I've just developed various ways to remain focused on task when I need to be and then to be completely unplugged when I'm with family time. So, for example, at or around 7 p.m., my phone is in my office, as is my computer, and that's family time. Most people that know me pretty well know that I seldom pick up my phone when they ring because my notifications are all turned off. So for me, technology, I'm not slave to technology. Mm -hmm. I use technology as a tool to optimise my energy throughout the day and to optimise my ability to give real focus and presence in whatever situation that may be. So, for example, this evening, after doing an amazing day with the Copters and the Academy crew, mm -hmm. at 5.30, I'm meeting my wife and kids locally in Leeds, mm -hmm. where my phone will be on silent, and we'll have a family dinner together for 90 minutes, totally uninterrupted. Now, I'm not going to pretend there's time when I get that wrong. I've been away for nine days in the Balearics, mm -hmm. and I'm obsessive about my morning ritual, which is rise early, exercise, meditate, supplement, and work, all before my family have got out of bed. Mm -hmm. But there are times during the day when I'll think of something, um, or when I choose to look into my email, there's something that needs responding to, and I'll do that. Times I get distracted or there's times that I daydream. Because I love what I do, my thinking is often around how can I help one of the executive team in the six businesses that I'm working in or on capture that idea. As somebody who works really close with me, Kev, you'll be used to receiving the emails at crazy o'clock when I'm brain dumping an idea or asking a question. So... I've come to accept that I'm wired a certain way mm -hmm. and I can manage that most of the time. But that said, it's not perfect. And I do modulate between bouts of boredom mm -hmm. through to overwhelm, boredom through to overwhelm. But having worked with some great people, coaches, mentors, and working with some great people that hold me to account, I'm better at identifying when that happens and knowing how to cope with that and exercise and meditation and good nutrition as well as investing in periods of rest and renewal are absolutely key to maintaining a degree of balance and that's not to say I don't get out of balance at times because I do yeah absolutely I think if you watch listening 
right at the start, I guess what we're also saying is behind every great man is a great woman. That's that whole saying. Because what you said there, you need to have a supportive family as well and a supportive wife at your side to be able to to do all the things that you've done, but not just do them and achieve them, but to continue to do them now, but on a bigger scale. Yeah, and I think for too many years, I took that for granted. I was so used to operating in a certain way before a wife and children that it took me a while to adjust, to be more sensitive to the needs of these three critically important individuals in my life. And that whole demarcation of family time, no phones at the table. In the early days when I would batch up a series of calls to make during family journeys, I realised how that was violating the values of the family. And my wife was strong enough to call me out on that on numerous occasions. And there's still times when it's important and I need to do that. But that now is the exception rather than the norm. So that those three people in my life don't feel the poor relation to all of my businesses. They, we can all coexist so that the set of things that are timely, are important and are urgent that do need to interrupt certain scenarios and equally vice versa with family and friends time over business time. Yeah, you just said, so I, I do that batchy calls up. You get called out on it. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. 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 But in my head, I always balance it out by saying, oh, well, it's really important and it's, look, we're in the car anyway. What else would you be listening to? <laughs> it took me about two years of constant <laughs> angst to make that adjustment. Yeah. Um, and I still find myself planning a journey to Manchester Airport, for example, <laughs> with one, two, three, four calls, and I suddenly think, oh, what the heck are you doing there? I'm just like, because I'm laughing, because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, well, it's dead time. What, what do you mean you don't want to listen to me talking to people, yeah. <laughs> talking yeah. business? So even now, even now, I tell you. So here's a question. We've talked a lot about growth mindset and post your learning phase. What was the Paul Lewin like before? They say in your um, early 20s, and then what were you like in your early 30s as well? you say that you're the same person now what experiences have you had and last question if you could go back what advice would you give your younger self if you know what you knew now in my early 20s I was hugely driven but I was pretty selfish and there was a lot of ego mm-hmm. I was hugely ambitious and desperate for success I did really well in my exams. I did really well getting a degree. And coming out into the world of working, I think it was 1991, I felt entitled. I felt the world owed me a living. I felt that I deserved stratospheric growth to a a very high-paying job very quickly. And how wrong I was. And how flawed I was and the world taught me some really strong lessons when I started the first business with Mike and Steve when I was 30 and went through a challenging time between my leaving the business that I was working with the guys in to Martech it was a humbling experience working 
in almost solitary confinement in a box room in the house with no income, having to rent out rooms to strangers in order to pay the mortgage. And then with no business coming in for the first few months, it really was a sobering exercise. So I matured very quickly during that phase. But I think the biggest maturity came with the global recession of, I think it was 2008, the financial crisis. I think we mentioned that a little bit earlier where I realised I was grossly uninvested in my own development. So I think the third part of your question was lessons learned. If you could go back, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? It would be invest more in curiosity, in learning and growth, in seeking out people that were that were further ahead in their growth development cycle, people that you could develop rapport and empathy with that were equally comfortable supporting and challenging with you. Kind of finding the people that would ask you the difficult questions to get to the heart of what's constraining you as an individual. But I'd also, I'd go perhaps another step, would be to uncover what your values are in life. You know, what it is that you really value, what gets you out of bed, and then to help reveal your sense of purpose. Because it's when I discovered or realised or, let's say, defined my sense of purpose, it was a real epiphany for me because it allowed me to make decisions in pursuit of activities, engagements, opportunities, enterprises, relationships that would elevate me, that I could really get into flow. So, you know, things that I would enjoy, I would be good at, and they would advance the people that I'm working with and for, Mm -hmm. together with advancing myself of fulfilment towards living a rich and adventurous life to 120, nurturing others to live better. So it's that sense of purpose, discovery of your values, and then finding great coaches, mentors, masterminds, like-minded individuals Mm -hmm. who will challenge the status quo, that will ask you the difficult questions which perhaps your friends and family won't. Mm -hmm. Your friends and family sometimes will give you what they think the right answer is for you, which is status quo, is to tell you what is going to feel nice when actually you generally need a bit more tough love. You need to be called out on certain things. You need to be told you've been a bit of a selfish so-and-so here, Paul. You're losing a little bit of perspective. You're out of balance in some aspects of your life. You may be sacrificing your health, your relationships, your mental well-being for the pursuit of a form of, in inverted commas, success in the form of maybe career advancement or a nice car or a nice holiday. Mm-hmm. But actually, maybe there's more important things in life than that. Like not bunching up your coals when you go on holiday. Exactly. And that is exactly yeah. it. It's just yeah. a small thing, but yeah. it's actually a big thing to Huge. a lot of people. Yeah. Huge. I tell you what, we're getting some real nuggets here. I mean, if you ever wanted a roadmap to success, and what I'm loving here is you go on social media and you see the entrepreneurial lifestyle 
and you see it sugar-coated like it's this big thing to go for, but the aspects that they show in a lot of cases is just surface level. It doesn't ever show you the hard work and the sacrifices that it takes to get there. It's like, you know, the overnight successes. It's like, hey, you, you've seen on social media, you've got this, you can have what I've got, but actually it's, it takes like 10, 20 years to get to the position that you're in, pretty much. It's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a huge test of resilience, and I've had some really abject lows, and you know, I'm really comfortable talking about it. You know, I developed quite an intimate relationship with Jack Daniels at one stage, and I still quite like Jack. You know, one thing that I need more of is sleep. For me, I had an experience yesterday where I had some electrical stimulation on my brain, having... You know, invested in curiosity to understand how we're wired. There's an organisation called the Brain Lab, an outlet in Hull. So I had a consultation that takes uh, a, a map of your brain and uh, got an insight into one of the standard paths of the brain, the different alpha, beta, delta <laughs> waves, and an insight that I've got a slight imbalance in that area. So that, that growth mindset, wanting to know more, the discovery, and then seeking to enhance that. So it, oh, give us some of the results, Paul, because this is fascinating. So you had it, they said there was an imbalance. What kind of results did they give you? And what action plan can you take? So first session yesterday, absolutely fascinating. After wearing a cap with 20 or so electrodes, and going through a series of exercises, it creates a map of the functionality of your brain. Yeah. There's a four-hour review of that data, uh-huh. and the specialist gives his opinion diagnosis of where your brain is in optimal health and you know, high cognition, potentially at the expense of the more relaxed side of the brain, which I think if I remember it correctly, is the delta wave side of it. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing at the moment is stimulating the delta pathway in the brain, which will potentially help with relaxation and deeper sleep. Amazing. It's fascinating. It's really funny because whenever I come across something that I want to test and it's anything to do with biohacking or supplements or yeah. new frameworks to learn, I always ask you first to see if you come <laughs> across it because no doubt you will have tried it and tested it. And, well, I mean, let's talk about that because you are a biohacker. Yeah, well, to get to 120 years of yeah. <laughs> health span, not necessarily lifespan, and the difference is dying old at a very young age, I enjoying life. I've read a series of texts over the last six months on the whole aspect of human longevity and the theory that we can start to age backwards. And people like Dave Asprey, who wrote the book Superhuman, he details lots and lots of different protocols. What I also had yesterday was whole body cryotherapy, where I was immersed for three minutes in a whole body chamber and the chamber is cooled to minus 196 Celsius, as far as I can remember. This is crazy. It's not crazy. It's just amazing to hear this. It's like, I never pictured that you were doing this yesterday. So when we were up in our emails, we were like, oh, I absolutely love it. So I finished that at 12.10. 
drove to the brain lab and had the consultation and the treatment with a cap which stimulated my brain with electromagnetic radiation and a series of electrodes. But I felt a bit woozy yesterday afternoon. Yeah. But I'm told that's part of the process. But the biohacking thing is huge, which is you know why my morning ritual always involves some form of exercise. I try to do a balance with high impacts intensity training. Yesterday I gave a tennis. Mm-hmm. I like hot and cold treatment. I've got a sauna at yeah. home. Do cardio, mm-hmm. bit of running, walking, swimming. Mm-hmm. What I don't do enough of is stretching. I do meditation. I'm very careful and purposeful with what I eat. Uh, massively reduce the amount of meat mm-hmm. that I eat wherever possible. Favour a whole food, plant-based diet with fish. Mm-hmm. Supplement quite extensively with five or six different supplements during the day. And the last six months, feeling better for it. Physically, not so many aches and pains, but ask me the same question in the next five, 10, <laughs> 50 years. Yeah, well, you always know you look good for your age. Thank you, Kev, likewise. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You're looking better than me. I'm the, you're making me think, right, I need to get back to the gym. But do you know what? When I think about it, I remember when I came for my first interview with you and I was applying for the job at Copters and I always remember it because you're the only person who's asked me at interview stage and put so much focus on what my morning routine was. I remember it well and the interview wasn't about anything about skills or experience. It was all about trying to find out who I was as an individual. And I always remember it was the morning routine, what five non-fiction books have I read recently? Then you quiz me on one of them that I said because you'd know, undoubtedly read it. And I always remember it because I went back to a partner, Kayla, and I was like, I just had the most bizarre, not bizarre, but the most completely different interview. It was like, it was all about me, but not as in me as a professional and what my experience are there. It was all about me on a personal level. I remember just finding it so fascinating. It was something that I adopted. And I know just going back to the importance that you put on talent attraction, retention and development. Every time we've interviewed someone from the Copters team, you can't see a Copters Chelsea's in the background. But one of the two things that we always drill home is what's your morning routine and what's your nonfiction books that you're reading? And it was like, it was really fascinating. That's something that I took away from it. Starting the day well, it's another obsession of mine. And I'm, I tweak it. Um, experimenting and looking to level it up, try new stuff, keep the stuff that works. There's one thing that I've not yet got the hang on, that's that gratitude journaling. I don't know, do you do it? Mm, I started it, I didn't stick with it. It felt, well, you know me, you know me as a person, I can't take compliments well or anything like that. So me writing about gratitude or just journaling anything like that, I'm with you, I love the exercise. When I'm exercising, that's me doing my... It's like meditation for me. I got really addicted to Bikram yoga. Yeah. But like when I was living in London and then in Bristol and uh, even when it came to Leeds and I remember just 90 minutes just exercising but just still in the brain. That's always the problem that I've had. Yeah. Stopping the brain. I think most people subconsciously have that and if they can discover the techniques or, or certainly first of all, get the awareness of that. And then if they know there are techniques to quieten the mind, that's sometimes when the magic can happen. Because I'll sometimes have, or I'll often have, the best ideas when I'm not searching for them. Those best ideas may come 
when I'm swimming, when I've got to concentrate on the breath. They may come when I'm walking in nature, when I choose to unplug from a podcast or from an audio book, when I'm just there bathed in my thoughts. They may come when I'm just daydreaming or when I'm in the shower. Because if your mind's concentrated and focused on something, it's closed to some of the new stuff. And the subconscious is so very, very powerful. I know what we do at COPT is we sometimes seed concepts with each other, not wanting an immediate answer, but knowing that the subconscious has anchored that seed mm-hmm. and it will reveal something in the next day, week, month that might turn into the next new sensation in the business. Yeah, you're a master at that. That is what you do. <laughs> it's just, and I've kind of learned that in the, in the last yeah. six months, seeding it myself. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you're in luck. Kev and Paul's conversation continues in part two, so stay tuned. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Drone World, the podcast by Copters, and search Copters on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to keep up with everything that we're up to. See you next time.